Hello, kiddies. So, you want access to the wicked archives, do you? Well, it takes money to keep the lights on and keep our beasties fed. Trust me, you don't want them hungry. They might just start eating the writers and then where would we be? Visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash wickedlibrary and pledge your support to the show. For $2 a month, I'll give you a key to our collection of classic episodes. For $5 a month, I'll let you hear the bonus stories before the rest of our listeners. Even more tantalizing rewards await for those who want to sacrifice more to us. <laughs> Over 70 classic episodes are lurking deep in the private area of the library, just waiting to be heard by you. Pledge yourself to the library today, and you'll be ours forever. You're going to like it here, I think. <laughs> <laughs> How much is it for people to enjoy the private area of the librarian, Dan? <laughs> Ninth Story Studios, giving story a voice. Hello, listener. Welcome to the Gaslight Collective. I am the Collector. Come along now. Let me show you my collection of audio delights. Yes, go on, pick one. All are sure to tickle your fancy in one way or another. Ah, that's a good one you've chosen. The Wicked Library. Hmm, with our good friend, the Librarian. Let's begin. We will make you believe. Well, here we are again. The warning at the beginning of the show. I'm getting a little tired of having to warn you people. I mean, the name of the show is The Wicked Library, for God's sakes. It's not the Sweet Pickles Library. Listener discretion is advised. If you're scared easily, good. <laughs> Seriously, though, bugger off if you can't take scary stuff. We're very scary here. Boo. <laughs> Hello, this is Daniel Foytek, and this is the Wicked Library. Welcome to episode number 726 of the Wicked Library. As always, before we get started, a big thank you to our new Patreon supporters. We've had two new supporters since our last episode, Hannah Cryer and Ruby Velez. To both of you and to everyone who continues to support the show, thank you so much for helping this show happen. As a librarian told you at the beginning of the show, our patrons get a completely ad-free show and other great rewards. Plus, they help keep the show coming for all of you. A wicked amount of time and love goes into making the show, so your support really does let us know you appreciate the effort. Thank you so much. 
Now, a couple things to let you know about. Recently, the Wicked Library joined a group of podcasters who are dedicated to producing high-quality shows, great listening experiences, which is what we're passionate about as well. They include a lot of different genres, history, fiction, crime stories. The thing that kind of binds them all together, though, is that they explore the darker side. It's a great way to cross genres and discover podcasts you might not have otherwise found. Uh, You can hear those over at darkmyths.org, where you can browse podcasts, you can try samples, you can subscribe. And not only will you find The Wicked Library and our other show, The Lift, there, but you'll find other shows like Unexplained, Not Alone, History on Fire, Monsters Among Us, The Conspirators, Pleasing Terrors, the Mythology Podcasts, Twilight Histories, and Singing Bones. And that's just a few of them. There's a ton over there for you to explore. Every single one of them has a sample episode up so you can try it out. And, of course, links to subscribe and find out more about the shows. So that's over at darkmyths.org. Also, if you enjoy the interviews at the end of this show, which many of you say you do, you can check out the Ninth Story Podcast with Jeanette and Alexander at podcast.ninthstory.com. They just launched season six, and uh, they're going to be talking to a lot of different writers this season. So again, if you enjoy those interviews that Jeanette does at the end of the show, you can find more like that over at podcast.ninthstory.com. And of course, Victoria would be upset if I didn't mention that we have another podcast that you would probably enjoy if you like this show called The Lift at victoriaslift.com. Of course, a big thank you to those who took the time to rate and review us on iTunes. We've had five five five-star reviews since the last show, and we really appreciate it. Including these two that mention supporting our writers by buying their other work. First, I came across the Wicked Library after doing a search for spooky podcasts. Nearing October, I thought it'd be a great way to get in the mood for fall and Halloween. Boy howdy, this team did not disappoint. I love the integration of writers, the outlet to other fantastic podcasts, and the stories. Oh, the stories. The plots, settings, and narration are diverse, and have continued to keep me yearning for more. I can't get enough of it, and luckily, most of the featured writers either have their own published works that I can check out, or have other podcasts available. Keep up the awesome work, Team TWL. Well, we will do our best to do so. Next, when I was four years old, I accidentally watched It while hiding on the stairs of my childhood home. Though this resulted in a lifelong fear of clowns, it left me with a love of the horror genre and a hunger for the macabre. This podcast satisfies my hunger with a vengeance. I have discovered many different authors through this podcast whose works I have happily explored outside of this podcast. The wonderful quality of the podcast does great service to the stories that the authors entrust with them. I look forward to discovering more authors and more stories through this podcast. So thanks so much for that. It means a lot to me personally and to all of the contributors to the show that you support their work. The last bit of news I want to share is that we're getting extra wicked for fall and Halloween. Now, typically, we release a show every other week, but from now until the end of our season, which will be our Halloween episode, 
Then we'll be off for November and December, minus the Christmas episode. We'll be back for that. And if you're a supporter on Patreon, you will get a bonus story in November. Otherwise, we'll be back in January with Season 8. At any rate, for this Halloween, we're going to have a very special episode. A lot of you who are longtime fans of the show have been asking for episodes from Season 1. Our Patreon supporters do get access to our Wicked Archives, and that includes Seasons 1 through 5. There's really only one episode for Season 1. Most of those got lost over time. So, by popular demand, we are going to go back and we're going to recreate three of the episodes from Season 1. All new voice actors, custom music scores, the best audio treatment we can give them, Kind of our way of saying thank you to everyone for listening for so long, and especially to our Patreon supporters for supporting the show. And we'll also be giving you a new story in this Resurrection episode, so you will get something new as well as stories that have not been heard in quite a while, and obviously have never been heard in the way that you're going to hear them this Halloween. In October, we also have our quarterly Wicked Anthology episode with three new tales, Those are the bonus stories that our patrons get first before everybody else. And, of course, since our goal is always to support those who contribute to the show, to help you hear their work, to get it out to as many of you as possible, once a quarter we combine those into an anthology episode. So you'll all get that. I think that's all I wanted to tell you about today. You're anxious to get to the story, I'm sure. And I'm anxious for you to hear it. Today's episode brings back one of our composers we haven't worked with in a little while, and whom you're going to be hearing more of in the future, and that's our good friend Nico. So, without further ado, T.D. Trask returns to the Wicked Library with this story, which has a man visiting a very unique new town mayor, and proposing an equally unique solution to an ongoing problem. Today's story is scored by We Talk of Dreams and told by yours truly. Hello, kiddies. Have a seat and relax. I am your librarian. There's nothing to be afraid of, yet. Hold on to yourselves, boils and ghouls. This is going to be a dark ride. We'll leave the lights on for now. No talking. It's story time at the Wicked Library. <laughs> Blood Pressure by T.D. Trask My sweaty palm clutched the little cross so hard, the ends poked into my skin like nails. I stopped just short of the steps and looked up. The Georgian-style manor loomed before me, undeniably looking better than I'd ever remembered. 
but the fresh coats of paint and impeccably manicured hedges and lawn of the old Lindsay place didn't remove the trepidation or the hollow feeling in my gut. As I mounted the steps, I became very aware of the familiar and right now most unwelcome tingle at the top of my scalp, signaling my elevating blood pressure. My medication wasn't touching it right now. But I had to do what I had to do. I paused for a quick moment to take a deep breath before reaching up and grasping the large brass door knocker. The heaviness of the metal matched the weight I felt about my mission, my thoughts, my fears. I tapped three times. The hard, hollow sound echoed as if reverberating through a cavern. After a full minute, a very dapper, courtly, elderly man answered the door. Yes, he droned, just like those intimidating butlers in the old movies. I cleared my throat. Hard. <clears throat> I'm, uh, I'm Earl Buxton. I'd like a meeting with Mayor Sauer. He is quite busy. I call upon him next week. Perhaps Thursday. The matter will only take a few minutes, and it is quite pressing. It's a town matter. The old man hesitated, gazing at me with piercing blue eyes shaded by eyebrows resembling ancient grade caterpillars. Come in, though I cannot promise he will see you. I understand. The tingling on the top of my head got a little more pronounced. Without another word, he stepped aside to let me enter. Even with the heavy, dark velvet curtains closed, I could still appreciate the expansive, elegant foyer, framed by gleaming, carved mahogany panels. I didn't get much time to appreciate the beautiful Victorian decor, however. The darkness doubled when he abruptly closed the door behind me, silently directing me with a nod of his head to follow him through a large doorway. My eyes hadn't yet adjusted to the darkness, and I banged my knee against the umbrella stand base of a tall, antique coat rack, stifling a strong urge to curse. I followed the old man slowly into the shadows of a long hallway, his rounded back hitching back and forth. The wide passage felt somber and looked excessively ornate. Two rows of elegant Queen Anne-style chairs were lined up on either side of the wall, not unlike the waiting area of a funeral parlor. We came to an intricately carved double door of dark wood. The old man brought up a knobby little hand and knocked lightly. Come, a baritone voice said. The old man opened the door just enough to stick his curled upper body into the room, blocking my view on purpose. Someone to see you, Master... Mr. Mayor. Who is it? The voice asked sharply. I noticed an Eastern European accent. A man named Earl Buxton. 
He would like a short word with you, and he says the matter is of some importance. He says it is about the town. All right, show him in, the baritone voice said curtly. The mayor was obviously annoyed. Old Samuel opened the door wide, revealing a large office. Books lined every wall, and the only window was curtained with fine lace. The sun had not yet moved to this side of the house to illuminate much of the room. A brass desk lamp shone on several papers, strewn over an antique green blotter. An old-style inkwell, complete with a quill pen, stood off to the side of the papers. The mayor stood, set a slim gold pen down atop the papers, and held out his hand. He was of indeterminate age. He could have been 40 or possibly as old as 60. It was impossible to tell. Tall, handsome, dark-haired and olive-skinned, and wearing a crisp, perfectly tailored suit with a deep red tie, he gave me an unexpectedly affable smile. With mounting apprehension, I shook the hand, feeling the cool, dry skin of his palm, immediately embarrassed of my own nervous perspiration. The cross stabbed into my other palm until I loosened it, fearing I would draw blood. Please, sit. What can I do for you? he asked me, congenially offering me the chair directly in front of his desk. I sat, feeling the nervousness rise in my spine, as well as my sudden need to pee. Um, well, Mr. Mayor, I began, my voice cracking a bit. Please, call me Victor, he said with considerable warmth and a generous sweep of his hand. Oh, okay, uh, Victor. I swallowed thickly and decided to dive straight into the matter and get it over with. I've been selected to bring you a matter of concern to the citizens of Rogerton. Oh? Um, yes. You see, ever since you ostensibly became mayor, things have seemed to have, well gone awry in the town. Gone awry? How so? Well, first, there's the murders. Murders? His brow furrowed abruptly. What do you mean, murders? Well, the corpses that have been found drained of blood. Victor waved a large hand in the air dismissively. Oh, that. Nonsense. This could easily be from natural causes of some sort. Natural causes? Well, I, I suppose there might be something we haven't considered. I struggled with the task at hand. But here's the odd thing. The corpses were almost always those of virgins. I shifted uncomfortably in the leather chair. Virgins? Huh. And the corpses... Please. The mayor leaned forward. 
Let's not call them corpses, shall we? What should we call them? They used to be alive, and now they aren't. Perhaps we could use the term husk. Uh, Husk? Husk. I cleared my throat uncomfortably. Okay. Well, uh, the latest husk was found by the father of a high school girl in her bedroom. He says that he saw you leaving through her window. He leaned back suddenly. Preposterous. As preposterous as it sounds, he is quite certain. So, this man says that the illustrious mayor of a Pennsylvania town climbed into a virgin's window and somehow drained her of her blood and then ran away. No, not not quite. No. No, uh, he said... I paused, feeling distinctly disturbed for actually saying it. He said he... watched you turn into a bat and then fly away. Victor looked at me, his dark eyes penetrating my own. I blinked nervously as a trickle of sweat inched down my spine. The moment of silence went on for a seeming eternity. So, what are you saying? He finally asked. I cleared my throat and shifted the small cross in my left hand. Well, the town had a meeting at the hall last night, and the consensus was that you may be, um, well, a vampire or something. He suddenly smiled broadly and sat back in his leather chair. Huh he said simply. Yes, I'm afraid so. And one wacko said he saw me change into a bat and fly away. So everyone now thinks I'm a vampire. Well, there have been other corpses. I, I, I I mean husks. Is there any other evidence to support this conclusion? Well, no, um, not really. However, everybody in town is so convinced by this that we've seen a noticeable change in behavior in some of our citizens. What changes in behavior? Well, for one... Students in the junior and high schools are, well, shedding their virginity with considerable abandon. Youthful exuberance. And the rest of the students, who are really concerned for their safety, are now either on the chess team or in the Star Wars fan club. Or or both. Posh, he said, pursing his lips in consternation. Finally, he looked up at me. So, Earl, 
What is your trade? My... My trade? Yes. What do you do for a... A living? I sell farm equipment. I see. And... You make enough to survive well? I couldn't see where this line of questioning was going, but I answered. I, I do all right. I, I pay my bills and all. And why do you think I took the job as mayor of Rogerton? Well, uh, if I remember correctly, you moved in and rebuilt this house. Beautifully, I must say. My tongue felt thick, swollen, and dry. And the last mayor, Denny Pierce, well, was found drained of blood before election day. So you won unopposed. Do you and the other citizens think I was the cause of this? I blinked quickly. The thought did cross our minds just to get the job of mayor. I shrugged at a loss for words. And what do you think made me come to this boring and quaint little town? I finally spoke up. There was that bit of news about Rock Creek. Victor's gaze hardened and the smile left his lips. Rock Creek? What's Rock Creek. That town in upstate New York, northeast of here. And what exactly do you know about Rock Creek? I shifted uncomfortably in my seat. I hadn't planned on taking it this far, but I realized there was no going back now. I've got a friend of a friend. You know how that goes. He said that a couple of years ago, the same sort of thing had happened up there. They said that they'd made plans to try to... Um, relieve the town of whatever was leaving husks around. So they went to the place where they assumed the perpetrator was residing to try and stop them. And what happened? Victor's voice was cold as the air within a tomb in winter. Nothing. Uh, they, they found no trace of anything. But I'm told the finding of husks stopped after that. And what would they have done if they'd found whatever they were looking for? I cleared my throat. <clears throat> From what they say, um, they would have used the usual remedies for such a matter. Mm. Such as? I shrugged, knowing I was getting dangerously close to losing it all. Uh, well, they didn't really specify. They, they said something about pointy wooden stakes and cutting off a head and stuffing garlic in its mouth and burning the corpse. Do you think 
that would have worked on me. I got the distinct feeling he was toying with me, baiting me. I, I don't know, honestly. Show me what you have in your left hand. I froze. I slowly opened my tight left fist to show Victor the cross. He glanced at it and chuckled lightly. May I see it? I didn't know what else to do. I held it out by the necklace chain. It swung loosely from my fingers. Victor reached across the desk and picked the cross up daintily with two fingers, as if he was picking up a cockroach. Was this supposed to affect me in some way? I shrugged, feeling uncomfortable in my own skin. He handed the cross necklace back to me with a dismissive toss. I caught it before it landed on the floor. I actually enjoy a good Italian meal that is rife with garlic. Though I suppose pounding a steak into my chest and the cutting off of my head would have a desired effect in the grand scheme of things. So, Earl, he said slowly, leaning forward, what do you propose? The remainder of my carefully prepared presentation was pretty much shot. I was selected to bring our concerns to you. Drew the short straw, eh? Well, it was rather a secret vote, and you won, so to speak. What would the citizens like me to do? We'd like the um, making of husks to stop. Victor scowled then stared up into the distance over my head, apparently deep in thought. After another long moment, he said, All right, let's entertain a silly idea for a moment. If I were a vampire, why on earth would I listen to you? Why wouldn't I just reach across the desk, grab you, and make a husk out of you. I swallowed audibly. It was time to play the only hand I'd been dealt. We'd like to offer you a compromise, I blurted. Compromise? Yes, we took a vote, and this idea won by a landslide. And this compromise, he said it like he had tasted something bitter, will provide blood on a regular basis. And how would you do that? The citizens have all agreed, well, almost all, agreed to provide blood on a regular basis. Everyone in town would report once every few weeks to give their blood. 
different people would be assigned a different week to keep the supply fresh. Sort of like the starting pitching rotation on a baseball team. The baseball reference was completely lost on Victor. I quickly resumed my sales pitch. My wife is a nurse and would easily be able to handle the blood drawing procedure. We would store it all in a mutually acceptable location of your choosing. You wouldn't need to create husks anymore. You'd have an unending supply of blood, free, in exchange for not killing anyone. Victor's gaze held steadily on my face as he tapped a single forefinger on the blotter. I looked nervously about me, worried that old Samuel had come back and was waiting behind me for some sinister instruction. He steepled his fingers and stared up again at the ceiling. Finally, he said, Will the blood be virgin blood? Well, no. We, we have so few virgins left. One or two might surprise you, but as I said, the supply of virgins has dwindled considerably. Damn. Yes. I had another idea that might convince him. And you have the advantage of never worrying about anyone sneaking up to try to do what those people in Rock Creek tried to do. You'd be safe. We'd all make sure you were left alone, protected against any harm some might perpetrate against you. Hmm. I hate moving. It's so tiresome. I know what you mean. I moved from a three-bedroom house into a two-bedroom house, and... I had to have a yard sale. Instinctively, I knew the time had come to play my last card. And of course, we would need your assurance that no other person would be allowed to leave husks around. You know, other vampires. I am getting rather fond of the climate and quiet here. Pennsylvania suits me well. Not much sunshine, and the winters are long. And that doesn't have to change, if you accept our offer. So, this would actually be a blood tax on the entire population. Well, uh, there are some who refuse to grant access to their veins. Victor looked at me out of the corner of his eye. Well, that doesn't seem to be very fair to the rest of the town. Now, does it? I suppose not. What should we do about this lack of cooperation? I raised my hands in a slight shrug. As fearful as I was at the moment, I refused to take my eyes from his or show any emotion whatsoever. It was time to seal the deal. Before I could say a word, Victor spoke. Perhaps I could persuade them, he offered simply. I swallowed. 
perhaps that might be for the best. It may mean a couple of more husks, though, until the rest of the populace gets with the program. I nodded. That's what we figured. And there would be no more silly uproar over these supposed husks. None whatsoever. I see. Victor sat in silence, his eyes narrowed and deep in thought. Suddenly he snapped his head to face me, smiling broadly. He stood. Knees trembling, I rose from my chair. He thrust out his hand. Earl, I believe we have a deal. I exhaled in relief and shook his cool, dry hand. I can see why the town sent you to talk with me about this. You are an exceptional salesman. Thank you, I said low in my throat. And in consideration for our agreement, I will be sure to not allow usurpers to enter our town as per the agreement. Thank you, I mumbled. Away, Victor said, waving his hand and looking to the papers on his desk. I turned, saw old Samuel at the office door looking curled over and thin and wrinkled as beef jerky. He led me back down the long, dark hallway and to the front door, opening it to the bright, welcoming sunshine. The abrupt change of the light made me squint. I was still a little shaky descending the steps from the porch, but steadier by the time I reached the safety of my car. When I looked back, old Samuel was nowhere to be seen. I put the car in gear and drove away slowly, enjoying the euphoric feeling of a job well done as my blood pressure slowly returned to normal. Oh, it's not that easy to leave the Wicked Library. There's still an interview with the author. But first, this. Hey there. Do you like legends, myths, and whiskey? Or maybe just one of those things? Then you should listen to the Legends, Myths, and Whiskey podcast. For more information, head over to legendsmythsandwhiskey.com. You've tried washing it off, rubbing, scraping, scratching, and sanding it off. You've even tried grinding, cutting, and burning it off. But still it remains. It's zombie skin. So foreign to your own eyes, you wonder, are you still fully human? Or have you become the contamination? Whether you're struggling with cold sores, eczema, poison oak, poison ivy, acne, bee stings, bug bites, cuts, scrapes, scuffs, tears, chronic rash, or any of the endless ailments we all wish never happened, the antidote is the truly endless repair. Head over to zombielips.squarespace.com to buy the antidote. Become human again. Get yours today.
Welcome to the post-show interview. I'm Jeanette Andromeda from the Ninth Story Podcast, and currently locked in the librarian's office with me is our author, T.D. Trask. Welcome, T.D. So do you go by Terry, or do you want to go by um, T.D. Trask? Oh, Terry's fine. Okay, cool. Because that was like the first mysterious thing was, oh, what should I call the mysterious T.D. Trask? Oh, Terry. Hi, I, 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 <laughs> Originally, I, I chose TD because it sounded a little bit more uh, like uh, gender neutral. So, I I think it does sound gender neutral, and and I kind of like that with authors where you you're forced to really make your decision based on their stories rather than on what their name is. I, I agree completely. So people have just listened to blood pressure, and I really want to talk to you about a lot of the delicious details in this because I <laughs> I love the humor in this story so so much and I'm very curious to hear um, kind of where this story started for you well whenever, whenever I do an anthology I, the one we, we, I did before this was called uh, Deadsville and it, my previous story A Job's a Job was also done by Wicked Library and you guys did a fantastic job with that but uh, I, one of the things that uh, stood out from that was that it was, had that humorous edge to it. And so, so when I was doing the stories for uh, Banquet of Souls, which, uh, which uh, Blood Pressure is in, um, I had just finished a, a really, really dark story. And I wanted something that was a little, little lighter to work on because um, when I get involved with a really, really disturbing story, I kind of have to temper it with something that's not quite as serious. And when I came up with that, I said, well, you know, I always wanted to do a, a vampire story, but I mean, everybody's done vampire stories. <laughs> everybody's done vampire stories. And they, they're, they're kind of falling out of vogue right now. And so I, I, I said, well, how can I make it a little bit different and make it a little bit, you know, humorous, yet keep a dark edge to it. and I just started writing it, and it kind of wrote itself. Um, I, 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 I sometimes I just don't know where a lot of the ideas that uh, for the stories that that I get where they actually come from. Um, <laughs> so it's like um, there was a couple of starts and stops with it because I had to, since I wasn't exactly sure where it was going, I had to you know take take a a day away from it just to see if I could uh, it, what else was going to fall into place, and it came came together pretty quickly that was one of the fastest stories i've ever written um and it turned out to be a very satisfying uh experience for me to write it what did you enjoy most about writing this story making jokes, <laughs> making <laughs> jokes. That, was, that was my favorite part um and and the other part the other part i really liked was um if you really start thinking about the deal that they're making Mm -hmm. The really deep, dark, wicked uh, stuff that is being offered is is just really disturbing once you start thinking about it. And when you when you start to do something like that, my my thought is that you know you try to keep it as late as possible, mm -hmm. and then later when the person is actually maybe reflecting upon the story, they start thinking, "Wow." That's what they're talking about. Oh my god! You know? <laughs> well, I I think my uh, the part that made me laugh the hardest was 
how all of the virgins are just gone <laughs> and all of the kids are making sure that they're not going to be a target. <laughs> it's just like high school got extra wild in this town out of necessity. And then when he's like, so what are you going to, you going to give me virgin blood? It's like, not really. You kind of made sure there aren't any. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> my, my favorite line out of the entire story is um, when uh, when the the hero of the story, the supposed hero of the stories, is explaining this to, to them. Um, the uh, vampire goes, "Youthful exuberance." <laughs> and, and I know. That, just, that was uh, that's my favorite line out of the whole thing because it it just that just was one of those things that I knew I didn't know what the character was going to say but it seemed to fit exactly what what he would have said now that i reflect upon it i absolutely imagine that's what he would have done and i also i enjoyed how time wise i couldn't quite place where or when they were other than pennsylvania it almost felt older because you know the guy showing up has this this uh station attached to him so do you find yourself writing about vampires a lot or is this just kind of a for the fun of it no this is the first first one and probably probably the last one i'll ever do (laughs) Uh, because i just don't i don't see where i can bring anything new to the table um so i i i i just never really was a big fan of vampire stories until this one came along <laughs> and now that I've done it I, I feel no I don't feel any any uh, insistence upon doing another one I can understand that there is a lot of vampire literature out there um, so if you're not into writing vampires a lot what does a lot of your other work kind of center around well <clears throat> in in Deadsville, as well as in Banquet of Souls, what I tried to do in each of the anthologies was I tried to make every story completely different. And I have a pretty good knowledge of a lot of the paranormal and, and stuff like that. And so I know what kind of gives me chills when I'm reading a story that supposedly is true um, and what I find fascinating and in um oh in the news like a lot of the the mysterious stuff that you that you that has been being reported in the news i love that stuff mm-hmm. and uh, i just i just think that that my ideas kind of come from that like the one of the the, the headline story for the book banquet of souls is the short story in there uh banquet of souls which uh, came from an idea that i'd had uh, after reading a, a um, it was a news uh, article that uh, some, I, I think it was a cardinal or somebody from Vatican City warned about uh, telecasting um, telecasting any exorcisms because it could be uh, dangerous. And of course, that's exactly what happens in that particular story that I wrote. And it comes with kind of apocalyptic um, uh you know, results from it. You know, it's it's uh, it's and it's a very disturbing story. That that story, I I found myself really disturbed about a week afterwards because I had written that. I remember my wife um, uh, reading it and she she looked up at me and says, "What the hell's wrong with you?" 
<laughs> so I knew that the story was was disturbing on its own. With um, with this particular story, uh, the feedback I've gotten with uh, blood pressure is that um, people really like the the humor that's in it, mm-hmm. and they like the the way that nothing is really uh, overtly said about what is going on uh, between what the deal is all about. And so, you know, I, I take that as uh, as kind of like a you know kudos to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, I I don't know. I just I'm not a big fan of uh, vampire stories. I mean, I can I remember growing up with vampires and uh, and like that, and that's fine. Um, but I after everything from Twilight to uh, <laughs> it's gotten to the point now where you know it's its own parody. You know, and, uh, absolutely. And, and I, I just, it's the only way, oh, that's the only vampire story that I could write. In the in the book, I went through <clears throat> and I chose um, vampires, ghost stories, um, you know, demonic possession, um, werewolves, and I put a, try to put a spin that's completely different from anything else that, that has, has been out there. Uh, it's tough with some of the older, uh, more, uh, uh, the bedrock horrors like horror uh, characters like vampires and werewolves and like that uh-huh. but um, it's really it gets boring to me if I do something that is that's kind of like by the book you know paint by numbers kind of thing that that's uh, that you know through the years I think that makes sense and if you know, as you as you're digging into, I mean, just the exorcism like telecast and it's infecting the world. Exorcisms have been done, but <laughs> taking that new spin on it and seeing how modern society would would maybe pervert that moment and make it even worse is, uh, I think that's fun. That's the that's the kind of stuff you want to dig into. <laughs> yeah, uh, in that particular story, what happens is that it, the uh, the tape of the exorcism that kind of goes wrong, uh, in is basically been put onto, you know, like sites like YouTube and like that, and it's out there forever. And there's no way that they can take all of that stuff off from the internet because somebody's going to have it downloaded someplace, mm-hmm. and it'll just keep on propagating itself again and again and again. And because of the way the news cycles uh, run, it's like. The media is going to be replaying it again and again and again because they know it's going to get get um, um, you know the the viewers. So that that's kind of what I what I base that whole idea about. Um, with this, uh, with the blood pressure, um, I basically took um, I, I back in the in the early eighties. Um, I was a, a machinery dealer. I was, a, I was a salesman for a machinery dealership, mm-hmm. and that's where I, I got the idea for what the Herald was going to be, um, you know, be like because they had to choose somebody that knew how to wheel and deal a little bit, as, especially when it's something that is that important. And so I use what I had learned from back then, you know, thirty some odd years ago, and um, I, I just kind of put that into the story. It felt so 
honest, having him have kind of a modest background, too. So I, I could feel that you had some sort of an emotional connection with even just his job there, so that definitely came across. So no. between um, this story and your last one on the Wicked Library, which was episode 619, A Job's a Job, where would you say that your writing style has changed or improved the most? Well, when I originally did A Job's a Job, I completed it back um, about 20 years ago. Oh, wow. Um, it, the, the first draft of it. And mm-hmm. when I, I was gathering stories for Deadsville, um, that was one of them that kind of came up because um, I, when I was in college, I did readings and like that of, of that particular story, and it always got a very good response. Um, <clears throat> so I, excuse me, so I, 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 that's where that came from, was that I wanted to have something that, uh, that's, that story was, was basically one of those that you really kind of have to start thinking about to find out just how bad everything is in it. And it's similar to, to uh, blood pressure in that respect. You don't, if you, it isn't, isn't that horrible, really, until you start really thinking about what's going to happen. And, and, you know, and plus it also is, is similar because, you know, who's going to trust in, in a job's a job, who's going to trust the devil? You know, who, who should ever trust the devil? And it's the same with, uh, with the vampire. Who, who is in the right mind is actually going to believe that a vampire is going to, uh, hold true to a, a deal. It just just is not going to happen. So that basically, there's a similarity in, in that respect to, to uh, one another. But um, when I when I after I wrote um, uh, blood pressure, um, I I was just had just gotten the book put out there, and I saw that uh, you folks were were at you know still asking for. For stuff, and I said that that story would be perfect for them. So, I sent it off, and I I just basically, you know, said, well, I'm I'm I got I'm almost certain that they're going to take it. So I just kind of completely forgot about it. <laughs> it just went completely out of my mind because I knew I knew inside that it was going to be a good enough story that you guys would probably want it. And I'm glad it did. I'm glad you did. I I appreciate it too. We appreciate having you back on. <laughs> You have, you have a fun way with your story, so it's it's nice to see something unique, and that's what we like to share. Um, so, out of... You you have put out uh, so many stories, three anthologies, and um, Deadsville, Banquet of Souls, to name a couple of them. Do you have one that, just at, off the top of your head, that was really difficult to complete? Yep, the one that's uh, the one that was most difficult to complete is in Banquet of Souls. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's uh, it's from an old story that I had originally done like 30 years ago, and it was a a, a really short short story back then. And the the name of the of the short story in Banquet of Souls is called Ruth, and basically is a story with two characters in it that you don't know who you're rooting for because uh, each one is really uh, scary as well as being um, distasteful 
and it's about a woman that basically uh, an old woman and old old man who were um, at the end of their uh, get, getting towards the end of their lives and so she he's been you know smacking around and and the kids are all estranged and and basically she takes a two by four and knocks him down the cellar stairs and he breaks his legs in one of his arms and he's basically helpless down there and it's done from the old man's point of view and the 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 character is so distasteful and so disturbing um and the 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 wife is basically completely deranged at that point and you find yourself rooting for one and then the other in the story at least i hope it comes across that way but um i had somebody who wrote me after reading it and said well, you should have made that into a novel and i'm thinking to myself no way <laughs> a novel uh because i it was it, that was a really really tough one to go through because um i just didn't know how to how to really put it together without making them both sound like they're you know like who's going to want to read a story that you can't root for somebody in you know and it's hard yeah there, there's another story that's in uh, bank of the souls which is also a really difficult to, one to to deal with and, and that was the uh, was a story called ryan not ryan and it's about this this um younger couple who have she's she's pregnant in the very beginning of the story and she has a baby and weird things start happening and everything that happens in the, in the story is so ambiguous and so you, more than one answer could explain it that it, it's very very frustrating for uh for the reader to to try to read it because there are no clean clean and clear, clear-cut answers um even until the last line of the story you you just don't know and that one is is one that that I kind of like but uh because of the the ambiguity of the of the storyline um but a lot of people it's a more challenging story for them they don't they don't really want to see something like that they want to have their the good guys in white hats and the bad guys in, in <laughs> black hats so um and it doesn't none of my stories end up that way I mean, mostly in life, there's rarely a definitive bad guy or a definitive good guy. It it gets really hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those those shades of gray. <laughs> yeah. The the thing with um, with my stories um, is that um, I get very very bored if um, if I try to do the same thing I've done before, <laughs> um, and it just it just does not attract me. I. I've been in a kind of a, a writing drought right now because um, I kind of went nuts. I did all of the stories for Bank of Souls in the space of about six months. Whoa! That, <laughs> oh yeah. my gosh! And and afterwards, it was almost like my my creativity creativity just kind of collapsed in on itself. Oh, and so I I've been struggling with that. I've got some story ideas out there that I'm working on, and I've got a couple of anthologies I'm working on, including a Return to Deadsville, as well as uh, one called uh, uh, Wish You Were Here, which is which is going to include uh, some of the later stories from from both the uh, both Deadsville as well as Back of the Souls, and as well as some new ones that I've uh, I've got. 
Nice. So since you, you feel like you're in kind of a creative drought right now, what, what kind of things are you doing to help refresh your imagination? Well, that that's difficult because mm-hmm. I get I get inspiration from um, things in the news. Uh, I, I don't I, I like to read uh, horror and I like to read uh, to watch horror movies and like that, but they don't give me the actual ideas. They kind of have to be routed in something that's a little bit more um, something that I've actually read that has happened to somebody. And a lot of the the stuff that I see on in the movies or or read in the books, um, it, it, a lot of it's really good. Like there's a, a couple of of, uh, of authors that are really really good um, that I really enjoy. John F. D. Taft is one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, it, <laughs> I mean, the guys that guy is amazing, and I recommend any of his books, any of his stories to anybody who you know who who listen to me. Uh, I am. Read him, enjoy him. He's he's an ex. He's terrific. He's absolutely terrific. Um, uh, let's see. What what was I? Where is it going with that? I can't remember. What <laughs> that. It was a uh, how to refresh your in, inspiration. Uh, what you're what you're attempting to. <laughs> that's that's basically it. I, I kind of haunt the um, the paranormal websites and stuff on the news. And I like weird news kind of items. Um, like I'd be interested in finding out um, what the scientific basis behind the trumpeting sounds that are heard around the world mm-hmm. in the skies. Uh, that that one just is kind of spooky to me. Uh, that I I I would like to write a story about, but I have no idea how to <laughs> how to come up with something like that. But you know, it's stuff like that. It's uh, things that that you you read it and go, huh. And then I, it kind of gets put in the back of my mind. I go and sleep, and I, or I, you know, it could be months later, and all of a sudden I'll get the idea for the story. Um, that's what happened with the, uh, more than one of the stories that are in Banquet of Souls, as well as Deadsville, is that a lot of times, um, all of a sudden the story's, boom, there. I wake up, oh, that's what that is about. It happened with the newest uh, uh, anthology I'm doing. Um, it's, uh, it just, I, I kind of got stuck because. Um, I got to a certain point and then I didn't know exactly what was going to happen next. And so I kind of put it away for uh, a couple of weeks. And then all of a sudden I'm, I'm there and I'm, I'm tilting back in my recliner and automatically start thinking about it. And all of a sudden I'm thinking, oh, that's what happens. That's, <laughs> what, that's why I started it out that way. And it's like I, it has to work through my, my subconscious or something until it finally is ready to provide itself to me. Um, I've told. I've said this before. I, I, I really, I really do believe that um, stories kind of choose the writer. And and you know, my my co-writer for Deadsville, Dale Elster, who's a terrific writer in his own right. Um, you know, he kind of scoffs at the idea because you know he has a different way of, of doing things than I do. Uh, but but I honestly believe that. There are some stories that that are basically made to be told by by a certain writer, and um, I think that that happened to me a few times too. And then it just clicks into place. <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> a lot of it happens during the writing process too. Because yeah, I'm working through all the 
the little details of what has to come out and, and then all of a sudden oh that's why that's in there left them four pages ago you know and, um, it's like I, I, I did a um, I've got a, a novel that I'm struggling to get get through the editing process with it's been a long time mm-hmm. um, but it's a <clears throat> It's a, it's a, it takes place in, in 1968, and when I started it, I wasn't exactly sure how it was going to end. I just knew it had to end in this one certain way, and that ride in between the opening and the ending was kind of like a, like an unfolding of the reasons why this happened and that happened, and, and it, it seemed to fall into place automatically. And I, that's that's what I love about, about writing is that is that is that something when that happens. It's wonderful. It, it really is. I, I have, for whatever reason, I've gotten to this habit of when I write stories, I write backwards. It's like one scene at a time. And for some reason, that helps me out. So I kind of feel you with like, oh, that's what that little crumb my subconscious threw out was. <laughs> well, you know, everybody has their own process. When mm-hmm. you're a writer, everyone has their own process of doing things. Um, Dale Elster, he... He asked me, I said, you know, he said, you know, I, I wish I could write faster. And, you know, I gave him some suggestions of the stuff that I do to write faster. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it just doesn't work for him. He says, I, you know, I can't do that. It doesn't work for me. And I said, well, do it the way you're doing it. And, you know, eventually you'll get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just that some people are able to write fast. Some people aren't. I remember that uh, Stephen King and George R.R. Martin, R. R. Martin were on a on a some sort of um, um, panel or something, and George R. R. Martin, who's a notoriously slow writer, um, said that he uh, he he was amazed at the speed at, at which Stephen King could write, and he wished that he could do that himself. But that's not his process. His process is a completely different process than Stephen King's or yours or mine or mm-hmm. anyone else's. And it has to present itself the way it's supposed to present itself to you. How would you have loved to have been a fly on the wall in that conference, man? (laughs) That would have been amazing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But also, yes, it's definitely important to find not just your voice, but how to get it out on paper. It's definitely a big part of it. Um, So where can people find more of your work online, Terry? Right now, uh, Banquet of Souls is, is... at, at a mere pittance of 99 cents for the ebook uh, and $10 for the paperback. Um, so if you have a Kindle or, you know, you can rack it up pretty quickly there. And as well as uh, Deadsville, Deadsville is also uh, 99 cents. Uh, I'm on Facebook. I'm also on, on Twitter. So, uh, you know, I welcome people to follow if they want. If they don't, that's fine too. Uh, but, um, but the, if they do, they'll be able to catch up with uh, the newest uh, stuff that's uh, coming out for me. I, well, I try to do as much marketing as I can, but I don't have the time to commit to it as much as I'd like. But I always try to let my, my people who really are interested in my writing uh, know when I've got something that's in the works. And uh, I was I was stalking your Twitter feed earlier today. I actually think you do a really good job of balancing the promotional type stuff with just being genuine while on Twitter and being interesting as a human being. So for those of you who like following authors on Twitter, um, but don't want to get plastered with buy my book all the time, Terry does a fantastic job with it. I do recommend going and following him. It's a, it's a good feed. (laughs) Thank you very much. 
Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us on the Wicked Library and for joining me here. What you didn't hear at the beginning was we've been locked in the uh, librarian's office this whole time. So do you have any ideas how we can get out? (laughs) (laughs) I have no idea. (laughs) I don't think there are any ways out. (laughs) Just maybe if we find one of these books, I bet there's a secret passageway. (laughs) (laughs) If you'd like to hear more of Terry's work, I recommend checking out episode 619 of The Wicked Library, which you can find on thewickedlibrary.com slash 619. You can also find a bunch of his books on Amazon, and you can talk to him at TD Trask on Twitter. If you'd like to hear more in-depth interviews with writers of horror, you can find them and me over on my other podcast, The Ninth Story. For those links and even more information, you can find it all on thewickedlibrary.com. Now, how do we get out of the librarian's office? <laughs> Now available from K.B. Goddard, the author of The Lift episode, The Lost Library, and The Wicked Library episodes, The Darkness Within and Shadows, comes her debut novella, The Girl with the Roses. At the haunted auctions of Thornhill and Swift, where artifacts of the ghostly and the macabre are bought and sold, we learn of the statue entitled The Girl with the Roses. Charlotte Salt has always dreamt of marrying for love, But when she receives a proposal, she realizes that romance isn't always the deciding factor in the Victorian marriage market. Married to the eligible but secretive George Avery, she finds herself cut off from her family and friends when her husband takes her to live in his isolated Derbyshire home. Trapped in a loveless marriage, she finds her thoughts turning towards her brother's newly returned friend, the handsome Charles Jameson. In failing health and increasingly troubled by strange sights and sounds, she cannot help recalling Jameson's mysterious warning, Be on your guard. What danger did he foresee? As dark forces surround her, she contemplates the fate of her predecessor. What happened to the first Mrs. Avery? In a summer of storms, can anyone save her from the shadows? The Girl with the Roses is now available for pre-order on Amazon and Kobo. Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Wicked Library. The Wicked Library is a Ninth Story Studios production, ninthstory.com. If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash wicked library. You can be a part of helping us keep the shows coming for as little as $2 a month. All supporters get wicked fun rewards like bookmarks, access to our archives, and at higher levels you get bonus stories and more. Season 7 of the Wicked Library is sponsored in part by the Legends, Myths, and Whiskey podcast. You can find them over at legendsmythsandwhiskey.com and of course in iTunes or wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Also sponsored in part by Zombie Lips. They make the antidote for the human condition. Get the cure at zombielips.squarespace.com. All audio recorded in-house at Ninth Story Studios is recorded on Rode microphones. Find out more information about their great products over at rode.com. That's R-O-D-E dot com. 
A big thank you to Rode for helping us make the show sound so good. Until next time, go ahead, leave the lights on. It makes it easier to find the virgins. Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining podcasts. Society-13.com I like to listen.